Almighty God, I pray that you pour out your Holy Spirit on us gathered here. That we might hear and that we might see well the ways in which you have not only called us, but you have sent us into the world to be bearers of hope and bearers of resurrection in all the places where our feet tread. May the meditations of my heart be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. It is the intention of Bishop William McAlilly, the resident bishop of Tennessee in the Memphis Conference, to appoint me to another church starting July 1st of this year. And it is also his intention to appoint the Reverend Kelly Hamilton, who is currently on staff at Belmead United Methodist Church, as your lead pastor, also effective July 1st. Roger gave you a little bit of information about Kelly and her family. I'm sure I have been in the same room with Kelly, assuming we were both at annual conference, which we were. I have not met her personally. But what I do know is that she serves a fantastic church. Julia Rich, this is where you say amen. amen. Because Julia's father served Bell Mead many a years ago. And so that's why I know that it is a fantastic church. I've got some classmates and uh, just some esteemed colleagues in the conference who are currently on staff. The Reverend Jim Hughes, the Reverend Samantha McLaughlin, and Reverend Gracie Dugan serve with Kelly. They are her colleagues and her peers. And so to be surrounded by such a great company, there is no doubt in my mind, though not having met Kelly, that she will lead you well. No question about that. I told you parts of my call story before that it began on a children's ministry Sunday. It's probably 12 or 13 years old. There was never a Damascus Road experience the way that Paul has one where he's square kicked off his horse. And Jesus Christ appears to him in a moment and says, stop persecuting my people and converts his life and then sends him to be one of the prolific missionaries of the first century. That's not my call story. It was incremental. There is no doubt that as I became familiar with the Gospels more and more to say as Jesus does in the temple when he is referring to the prophet Isaiah, that the Spirit of God is indeed calling, sending me into ministry in a duplicity of ways. I think that that is every person who has been called into ministry, whether they are a preacher or not. But if they have a call to ministry, whether or not they are ever ordained, they turn to Jesus in the temple that day when he goes into his hometown and he opens the scroll and begins to teach that they would say the Spirit of God is indeed with me, calling me, compelling me, sending me to do this ministry. That is indeed our highest and loftiest calling for the ministry of the ordained, to be set apart. I told you this, ordained clergy are no better than church members, than the laity, the laos, they're not. Anybody that tells you that's lying to you, don't believe anything else they tell you. 
They're on equal footing. It's just that the ministry of the ordained are called to do something particular. To preside over the sacraments, to preside at the table. To preach, to teach, to care for the sick, to visit in the homes, to nurture the children, to visit house to house. To bridge the gap between the church and the world. That's the ordination call of the deacon in particular. Elders are called to order the life of the church in addition to the sacraments. Each of you, the baptized, the confirmed, members of this church, go back to your membership vows. You've renounced the forces of sin and evil and wickedness in the world. You promised to resist oppression and injustice in whatever forms they present themselves in the world, in every form. You have promised, vowed before your brothers and sisters in Christ to remain loyal to Christ's holy church, to serve the church which Christ has opened to people of all ages and nations and races, You all are sent people. You may live every one of your days out in Kingston Springs or Pegram or Bellevue. You're still sent. Even if you never leave this place. It just so happens that there are folks who serve in the name of the church. Itinerant elders Pastors like me and Kelly, who each year there's a time in which our bishop tells us there's the possibility you might move. That's part of our ordination vow. It is part of our history. 200 years worth. There's a reason that for some time there has been a United Methodist Church in almost every zip code in the United States. Because when America wasn't quite as big as it used to be, when it was confined to the eastern part of the United States and folks began heading out west, the people called Methodists went with them. Frontier towns as they popped up, as people were given land grants, as they fled whatever might be in their bag of rocks on the east coast, Methodist Men, primarily, on horseback went with them. As the frontier went west, so did the church. And so it's no surprise that the Methodist witness is all across this country. There are places where you would be hard-pressed to find some of your other mainstream denominations. But there's a mighty good chance that there's a United Methodist Church there. That's not as much the case as it used to be. We have close some churches. Y'all are not at risk for that, so don't, don't hear that in me mentioning it. The Methodist witness is prolific because people have understood themselves by the virtue of their baptism. As they've read through the Gospels and they see Jesus on the move, as Jesus Christ ascends and he tells them, go into the world baptizing and teaching in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He tells them to go into Judea and then to Samaria 
And then out beyond that to the ends of the world, he uses three concentric geographic areas. He tells the apostles, go. And they do it. You can look, you remember the Easter story. Who is it that shows up at the tomb first? It's Mary Magdalene. And in this fear that the grave has been robbed, she goes back and she tells the disciples gathered behind locked doors. So Peter and the beloved disciple, probably John, they, they have this foot race. They race off to the tomb. Upon seeing it empty, they're, they're satisfied. They don't hang around long. And Mary stays on the scene in the garden. And the gardener appears to her. This is Mary. And in that moment... It is indeed the risen Christ made known to the disciples. For a moment, those who know the resurrection to be a reality, those who are able to see the risen Christ among us are the church. There is a period in time in which Mary Magdalene is the entire living church on earth. She is the one that receives the revelation of God that Jesus Christ is no longer dead. That right there is the best justification there ever has been for women to be in ministry, period. What does Jesus tell her? Don't cling to me. The Father has sent me, and so I am sending you. Go tell your brothers Go tell them. Bear witness to the resurrection. What we hear this morning when Roger read from the Acts of the Apostles on Pentecost, there's all of this stir. We, we know the second chapter of Acts really well because tongues of fire, the Spirit has descended. There's the speaking in tongues. But what happens there afterwards is that Peter and the disciples, the early church, surely... It's more than just the twelve, once Judas has been replaced, who are gathered. And there's a healing that takes place. Peter begins to preach. This is Peter, the same Peter that made the confession at Caesarea to Jesus, you are the Christ. And then within a matter of weeks, he denies Jesus. Peter, who runs to the tomb, finds it empty and leaves. I mean, Peter's of both ends. Some days he's, I mean, he's spot on, and other days he's just missing the mark left and right. It is Peter who begins to teach and preach in the temple because he is a bearer of the resurrection. He is a witness. All he's doing is selling what he has been a witness to, and that's the ministry of Jesus Christ. Indeed, Peter is sent. He's given these gifts to offer up this story. There are thousands converted Because Jesus draws this long arc as a first century Jew between the ways in which the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob is indeed the same one that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. You can see the ministry of Mary being sent. You see the ministry of Peter being lifted up. You'll hear the ministry of Paul, that conversion on Damascus Road. It's a It's an eerie thing for, to bring up Paul's ministry as Syria is in such turmoil and civil war. <clears throat> Paul is sent 
most prolific evangelists for the early church. The church never stayed still. If it did, it would have died. I'm glad that Susan and Ed are part of our congregation. I've lifted up Susan's parents before. Because there are, ministers, there are missionaries who serve in your name. They serve in the United States and they serve globally. A missionary isn't just serving in sub-Saharan Africa. They're serving in Denver, Colorado. There are all sorts of missionary appointments these days. They are sent from everywhere to everywhere. It used to be the United States would send its missionaries abroad because it was an export It's not the case anymore. We're in a different age in which there are other countries that have exploded in church growth who are sending missionaries to us. Oh, how the tides have turned. Missionaries may help build churches. They may also help teach agricultural development. They may teach microfinance and oversee lending programs for small business owners. Missionaries serve in all sorts of ways. If ever there is a small whisper in your heart, an aching that just won't go away, maybe it's the Spirit of God calling in you into a form of ministry that you haven't yet considered. Some of you are going to keep being missionaries in South Cheatham. Some of you are going to go elsewhere and serve don't ever count that as being off the table because it's not by the virtue of your baptism you're called and you're sent when I was ordained part of what I knew would take place is that I would move I had moved from a campus ministry to while simultaneously serving a church in Nashville, and I was sent here. And I thought I would be here a lot longer than two years. I thought I would baptize more of you. There are a few of you who are still on that short list. Got a couple more weeks. I thought I would bury a few more of you. Maybe a few more weddings. But that may not be the case. Kelly is working on the same, she's taking the same vows I have. When she was commissioned as a provisional elder, I told Roger Hamner that you were going to be the kind of church that says, send us pastors and we'll get them ordained. You're two for two. You'll be three for three soon, there's no doubt. That can be your particular niche in ministry. I have no doubt that the Spirit of God has brought Kelly thus far in ministry. The folks around her have affirmed her gifts and graces. She is in a lineage like Mary Magdalene. She can say that she has seen the Lord and she has is just, if not more, gifted and talented as a preacher and a teacher and a caregiver than any 
man that has ever stood in this pulpit. There was an appointment of a woman in this church. It's been decades. Some of you remember, some others just may not. If you've got bad blood or bad memories from a woman occupying this pulpit, it needs to be water under the bridge soon. You've had African-American pastors in this pulpit. You've had a long legacy of male preachers. There is no reason that a woman is not, is less qualified in any way, less called, less effective, less fruitful than any man that has ever preached here. You will be delighted to have Kelly as your pastor. You can imagine this in 1968. That was the year the United Methodist Church finally got around to ordaining women. 50 years. There were more advancements on voting and civil rights in the United States than the, one of the largest denominations affirming the ordination of women. Women could exhort, but that wasn't preaching. They could teach in the church school. They could do music ministry. But Lord have mercy, they're not ready to be ordained. That was a mistake. And 180 years overdue. There are so many folks, listen for their stories, who say the Spirit of God is upon me, who are called into ministry. If one of your kids or one of your youth ever dares to tell you that, listen and take them seriously and pour your time and energy into their lives and cultivate that call and they will lead you into ministry in this community. And one day you might have to say goodbye to them, sending them forth, but you will have taught them well. I love you, and I will miss you. And we'll get around to more of that at the end of June. But you should be, well, I don't know what you should be. I hope you'll be excited that Kelly is coming to be your pastor. There's no reason for you not to be. And when she gets here, spare her. Adam did it this way. <laughs> Me and John Daniels will be water under the bridge. You give Kelly all the running room she needs so that y'all will continue to be the most faithful church in ministry leading South Cheatham County. Bless you this day and forevermore. Remember, you are children of God and you were all sent. Amen.